Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Is it just me or does anybody feel like our worship team did a best of this morning? Amen. I'll tell you what, I'm so blessed and ready to preach right now. If you've got your Bible this morning, will you hold that up? Even if it's electronic, that's the day and age we're in. Praise God, look around at people that got their leather. The more I read this book, the more I open the pages of it and flip through it and look for direction, the more I absorb it, the more I want. When I read it, where we started in this sermon series weeks ago, when I read my Bible, I'm using my senses. I'm hearing it. I like to read it out loud. I'm hearing it with my ears. I'm seeing it with my eyes. And I personally like to hold my Bible open like this, and so I'm feeling it. I like to feel the pages. So I'm using my senses when I read it. When I study my Bible, when I go a little bit more in depth and I find something that triggers my interest, that stands out to me, that jumps off the page, you've probably heard that phrasing before. When I study it, it drops from just a sensory perception into my head. I get it in my mind. Are you following me yet this morning? It's not just a seeing or hearing or touching. Now it's in my mind. There's something sticking in there. And then when I move from just reading it to studying it to that next step, which was applying it, it drops from just a head knowledge. It drops from just something that's going on up inside my head, down into my heart. And now as I work and try to remember to apply what I've read and what I've studied, there's something inside my heart that starts to bubble and and exude, and what's inside my heart wants to come out. I'm applying the things that I've read and I've studied. So it's become not just a sensory thing that I've touched and felt and seen, and it's not just something that I have knowledge of in my head, but now there's an application process in my heart, and it wants to do something. Are you with me? But after that, after we've read it, studied it, and started to learn to apply it, The next step is for us to live it. We've got to live out the things we've read, studied, and started to apply. And the live it portion is not in our senses, and it's not just in our heads, and it's not just in our hearts. It's in our gut. Intestinal fortitude. Have you ever heard that before? Intestinal fortitude is where it's coming from. If you look that up in the dictionary, it will actually say courage and endurance to go on. That's what it takes to live 
the Christian life. Reading it is part of it. Studying it is definitely part of it. Applying it is part of it. But it takes intestinal fortitude to live it. It takes guts to live the Christian life. Let me put that in perspective for you very quickly. We all live in a world that everybody wants to be vocal about what they believe and what they think. For us to stand as Christians in this world against some of those things, some of the things we saw on the screen in that short video, some of the things that you've heard on the news this week, some of the things that as Christians we should just downright take a stand against, it's going to take guts. Do we have anybody in the house today that's got some guts, that has some intestinal fortitude? And I'm not talking about going out and being violent or doing any kind of craziness. I'm talking about taking a stand on the Word of God and saying, I will live this. I'm going to live what this says. I'm going to study what this says. I'm going to apply these things to my life the best that I can, and I'm going to have some guts while I do it. Spoiler alert for next week, after we learn to have guts and live this word, we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's the big picture. So long, we've heard teachers and pastors and churches and denominations and churchy people say, well, you need to learn to live the Christian life. Oh, you've got to live it now. But what in the world does that mean anyway? How can we take such a general, broad statement, you just need to live the Christian life, and expect to leave here today and be different and live it? That doesn't do us any good for people to just say, you need to live the Christian life. And that's what church, churches traditionally have done. You need to live the Christian life. Go live it. But if you're never given instruction, how do we live the Christian life? What do we do differently tomorrow? And then we read our Bibles and we go through and we see love your enemy and we say, how? How could I possibly do that? That's why they're called enemies, right? I can't love them. But yet our Bible says, love your enemies. And we say, how? How do I love our, my enemies? We see turn the other cheek. How? How do we turn the other cheek? How could we possibly get to that point? And then we see forgive those who have hurt you. And we say, no way, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. From the Old Testament, from the 603, if you count them up, Old Testament laws that you'll find, to the New Testament commands to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. We see all these things that we're supposed to go and do Go live that. The reality that we start to live with is to live the Christian life is absolutely impossible on your own. It's absolutely impossible on your own. That's what the children of Israel, the, the Hebrews, the, those that escaped Egypt in the Old Testament, that's what they learned because all of those laws that were laid out through Moses and, and through all of those travels through the wilderness that God said, do this and do that, and they counted them up and they probably had them scribed into a stone somewhere. Could they do it? Absolutely not. They couldn't keep those laws. 
and the one that we just quoted, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. No, we can't, we can't keep that either on our own. We don't have it inside of us to do this on our own. The Bible tells us, so we don't even have to try to figure it out, that all of us are incapable of pleasing God. Guess what? It might be a news flash to you, but you were born a sinner. You were born separated from God, and you don't have the capability inside of yourself to mend that gap, to cross that bridge. That's what the Bible tells us, is that we are incapable of pleasing God. We're incapable of living up to His holiness and His righteousness. And if we just stop there, that's depressing. We can't do it. We can't do it on our own. We don't have it inside of us to do that. As a matter of fact, we were all born into sin, and our problem is our heart. If you read through Jeremiah, he'll tell you, your heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. So that's great news this morning, right? Thanks for putting it in perspective for me. I don't have the ability to do this on our own. It's our flesh that continues to pull. It's the the lusts of society. It's the things that we were born into that are constantly pulling us in the opposite direction from where God is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody felt that pull? Does anybody struggle with that pull every day like I do? The lust of the flesh, the the pull of sin in my life to pull me in the opposite direction of where God is. It's a war that's fought in everybody's life every day that they wake up. It's the war of the flesh. And my concern today, my concern for us in this church and in the church in general is that we have had year after year of Sunday after Sunday of uh, being told that you have to go out and live like a Christian, but we've never been told how. We've never been told that, it, it, that we need to do this or do that. We've just been told, go live like a Christian. So instead of confessing our sins and turning from the things that don't please God, instead of seeking righteous living and holy living and denying our own flesh, we're consumed with the idea and the mentality That to live as a Christian and to please God is a list of rules that we need to be able to accomplish. And I have a fear and I'm worried about the fact that we may have pushed that so deeply into the church at this point. That if we don't soon turn from that and realize that that is not what we are called to do. That is not how you live the Christian life. This is not about following rules. And we're going to have to try very, very hard to catch up with what God intended. So, instead of being consumed with the idea and the mentality that to live as a Christian is to please God as a set of rules, what we need to do is is not only just apply, but learn how to live God's Word in our lives. Guess where we could find those answers? Right here in this book. Well, don't we also find that set of rules you're talking about? Yeah, we do. But we can also find how to live that life without the mentality of where are the set of rules that I need to follow. I'm tired of people who are going through life with their fingers and toes crossed just hoping they're going to get in. That is not what God has intended for us. 
This is not a, oh God, I hope I didn't mess up too bad. I'm not as bad as that guy kind of a deal. It shouldn't be that. This should be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Brother and sister, listen to the preacher this morning. If you have been living that kind of life where you've had your fingers and toes crossed and you are just hoping that when the, when the trumpet sounds, the day you breathe your last breath, you're going to get in, you're just hanging on by a thread, you have been living a lie. You are living and you are deceiving yourself. Now, don't get me wrong, you were never good enough. You're not good enough today, and you won't be good enough tomorrow to make it on your own. That's why God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins and bridge the gap and do what you are incapable of doing. Who's glad this morning that God made that plan and sent Jesus Christ? What a beautiful thing that is because once we realize, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our guts, that we can't do this on our own, our immediate response is that we start to look for, who do I need then? And the answer is, we need Jesus because we're not capable. Don't live in that deception anymore. Don't just try your best to follow the rules. And if you're struggling through life with your fingers crossed thinking, I hope I make it, I've got great news for you today. Living the Christian life is finally coming to the sweet understanding that this isn't about the rules that you need to follow. This isn't about check boxes that need to be checked off. It isn't about you being good enough to make it. It isn't about wishing a wishing well or a, a lamp to rub and you get some wishes. If your desire is to love your enemy, if you want to turn the other cheek, if you want to desperately be able to forgive those who have hurt you, the only way you'll ever be able to do those things is through the Holy Spirit of God to rush over you and dwell inside of you and make you capable of doing those things. We in and of ourselves can't forgive. We don't know how. Our flesh says, don't forgive. Hold a grudge. Get some revenge. The Holy Spirit of God says, you might be exactly right. They may have hurt you. They may have been 100% of the problem. You need to love them. The Holy Spirit of God says that is your enemy, your sworn enemy. You need to love them. The Holy Spirit of God says when you see someone who is in need, you need to help them. That's the life that we have not only chosen to live, but now that we have chosen to live, we are commanded to live. And in our incapableness, we pull on Him. Because we don't have the power to do it in and of ourselves. Billy Graham said in a message years ago, the Christian life is not just being saved from hell. It's not just redemptive and it's not just forgiveness. The Christian life is a way of life. It's a way of living here and now. It's a new way, a revolutionary way, a dynamic way. Life with new dimension. It's a thrill and it's a joy. It's a way of life. We've used that expression in so many different ways uh, over the course of time that you have to change your way of life if you want to get healthy. Amen? You can watch the commercials on TV that promise that if you'll come and pay your membership and, and show up at the gym, you'll look like this, and they present what that should look like. And we say, yeah, that's what I want. But in order for us to achieve it, we can't just pay the membership. How many of you have tried that like I have? 
I'm in for a couple hundred bucks over here in Cramerton. I ain't been there in a month. It's not just about paying your dues monetarily. It's about showing up and putting the time and the effort in. That's a change of your lifestyle. That's a way of life. How many of you have bought into and invested in the train of thought that you need to eat differently? Right? Those poor Twinkies, they're going to go stale because now I'm committed to kale. But just having the kale in the house isn't going to do it. I've got to eat it. I've got to ingest it. I've got to leave the Twinkies alone. It's a way of life. It's a change that has to occur inside of us. Let me ask you right now, what kind of life are you currently living? What kind of life are you currently living? Are you living the Christian life? I want you to see these verses of Scripture. Some of them are on your outline for you to fill in. The first one is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Listen to what they said. For now we really live, there's that word, because or since you are standing firm in the Lord. How should I live? By looking at that verse. How should I live? Paul was writing this because of the great faith. The great faith that they were living. To those that he wrote this to, that they showed in their living. They showed what? Great faith. They stood firm. They weren't wishy-washy. They didn't get pushed around by the world. They didn't get pushed around by the news headlines. They stood firm. And Paul was writing this to say, because of your great faith, because you've stood firm, we are encouraged. We are encouraged to continue to go out and preach the gospel. Listen to this one. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by faith. Say it with me. For we live by faith not by sight. The world will tell you to live by sight and not by faith. This is one of those upside-down kingdom principles that we have to have sync from our senses to our minds to our hearts and into our gut and say, how do I live by faith? What is faith? What does that even mean? It's placing your confidence in the hope of the unseen. It's placing your Trust, your confidence, everything that you've got in the hope of the unseen because you know that what you're reading in your Bible is true. It sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? It sounds like you might be a little off base starting even to go down that direction. And when you try to explain that to somebody, they say, well, how do you know these things are true? You say, well, I just have faith. And they go, I don't know about that. i got to have something I can put my hands on. i, I got to have something that I can dive into you say, well, pastor, how do I get more faith? Because I think I'm where that person was. I might be where that person was in the Bible that said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need a little more faith. Where do I get it? You ask God for it. You can't go down to Walmart and buy faith. You can't stop by the convenience store and pick up some faith on the way home. You have to get in your prayer closet. You have to get on your knees. You have to say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need some more faith. And then, 
We live by faith and not by sight. I see out in the distance, I see with my own eyes, things don't look good. She's about to pack up and leave. The job is about to come to an end. And I say, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I don't live by faith, I, I, or by sight, I live by faith. Amen? I, I see it coming, I'm going to do the best I can to prepare for it, but God, you have me in the palm of your hand. That's how we live by faith and not by sight. Look at this next one. This is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to say no. What a concept! It teaches us to not just say, okay, well, I, in order to be a good person, in order to be politically correct, I'm going to have to allow this to happen. I'm going to have to be uh, uh, accepting of this or that. I'm trying very, very hard not to be specific. Uh, I have to learn as a Christian to say, no. That is contrary to the Word of God. That will not fly. I have to say no. Paul was encouraging them, and we have to encourage ourselves with this today to learn how to say no. As a matter of fact, let's just practice that all together on three. One, two, three. No. No. Well, we've passed a law up at state, or we've passed a law in Congress, and that's just the way it is. Well, it's contrary to God's Word, and so we say it's, it's, it's got to be politically correct because if we, if we don't do it this way, uh, someone's going to get their feelings hurt or we're going to start to infringe on their rights. But it's biblically not scriptural, and so we have to say, no, it just won't work for us. We can't do it. And so the encouragement here in this concept is to learn to say no. We also have to learn how to say no to ourselves. Our flesh is dying to be fleshy. Our flesh is pulling us to be sinful. And every day, that's why we're encouraged in our Bibles to put on the full armor of God, because it allows us to stand firm like these folks that was being written to and say, no, you can't have that today. Is anybody else in the house wrestle like that? No, you can't have that today. That's not right. That's not scriptural. That won't fly for myself. And so I have to learn how to say no. You might say, well, don't I deserve to be happy? Not really. What you deserve is to burn for what you've done. That's the reality of the situation. But the grace and the mercy of God to send His Son Jesus to cover all of that says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Is there anybody here today? Students, are you hearing that today? The world will tell you, you don't deserve the grace and the mercy of God. But you do. It's for you. You can grab it. You can hold it. He saw fit to make a way where there didn't seem to be a way. In this verse, it continues and says that self-control needs to happen. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Anybody heard of that one before? Anybody have any issues struggling with a little self-control? All the time. Upright, 
That's how we're to live. We're to live with self-control. We're to live upright. What does that mean? That means with integrity, and that means with confidence. If we all stood up with integrity and confidence, not in who we are, but in who he is, can you imagine the things that we could impact for the kingdom? I'm not talking about going out and changing laws and getting into the political scene. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about being a man, and you care about being a woman of God who will stand firm with integrity and confidence and say, no, that is contrary to God's word. And then Paul addresses, or Titus addresses, when should I do this? It says, in this present age. For them, that was then. For us, that's today. When should I do this? Should I do this next week? No, you should do this today in this present age. What about this one in Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. How should I live, Pastor? You've told me I need to go out and live the Christian life. How should I live? You should live in step with the Spirit. How will you know how the Spirit is so that you can get in step with the Spirit? You're going to read, you're going to study, you're going to pray, you're going to learn to apply, and then you're going to get it in your gut. And it's just going to become your natural way. And when the Spirit moves, you're going to say, oh, i got to go because the Spirit's going. And when the Spirit says stop, you're going to put your feet down and stop. And you learn to be in step. That's what he was talking about. Be in step with the Spirit. How do I know that I can do that? Because every one of us was promised that if we would make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, the instant, the moment that we confess our sins and say, help me, I need your help, he sends his Holy Spirit down to dwell inside of us. So if you've done that or if you will do that, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you can learn to listen and be in step with the Spirit. That's good news for somebody today. Let us not become conceited. What does that mean, conceited? That means having a high opinion of yourself. Anybody else got an issue with that one? Oh, I do. I've told my brothers, the closest brothers in my life, I said, you want to, I need your help because I have sometimes a high opinion of myself. I've become conceited. I'm a power-hungry person. If you see that happening in my life, tell me. I need to understand that that's happening. I need you to stop that from happening because I've let that overtake things in my life before. Don't become conceited. Why would he be giving us that and saying, don't become conceited? Because he knows that when we elevate ourselves to a higher position, we push the Holy Spirit down to a lower position, and we don't want to do that. Don't be provoking. How many of you got brothers and sisters? Then you know what provoking is. Poking the bear in the cage. Oh, we had a 76 Impala. Me and my two sisters would be in the back seat of that bad boy, and we would ride all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Akron, Ohio. That's like an eight-hour trip, and we were in the back seat provoking one another. <laughs> and as soon as Mama would turn her head and look back, not a one of us had a finger on our hand, but as soon as she'd look away, we'd just poking each other and provoking each other and saying things that we knew would get under the other person's skin so we could cause a fight. 
That's what provoking is. Don't do that. This says, don't do that in the kingdom of God. Don't provoke one another. We don't want to be that way. That's not living for Christ. That's not living the Christian life. The Christian life is not provoking each other or envying each other. Uh Uh-oh. Envying each other. Looking across over the neighbor's house. They got them a new ride over there. Boy, I wish I had a new ride. And to the point where you are dwelling on the fact that you don't have what the neighbor has, that you don't have what the person sitting across the church has, that you don't have the paycheck that they have. But not just to the point where you notice it, but to the point where it's starting to do a little something. You're envying them. That is not the Christian life. This one's not on the screen, but as we draw to a close, this one's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, in the amplified version, that's going to say aliens and strangers. How many of you knew you were an alien this morning? I knew some of you were. I just didn't know exactly biblically how to tell you, but now I found the right verse. As aliens and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Do you hear that this morning? There's sinful desires that wage war against your soul. And so are you telling me that we're going to come at this thing sort of lackadaisical? We're not going to put on the full armor of God? We have no plan to read, to study, to apply? But yet the enemy of our souls, the, the person who's directing those sinful desires, is waging a war. Who's hearing that? We better get our armor on. We better get serious about the war that's being raged to our personal faith and to our families and to our church. There's a war that's being raged against our souls. It continues and says, Live such good lives among the pagans that because of you, or that they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We're supposed to live it out in front of them. Live what? Live non-conceit. Live non-enviously. Live in such a way that we are rejecting the fleshly pulls and the war that's being raged against us. They need to see that. Now, you guys look like a smart group of people. Why would it do them any good to see us live godly lives? Because they might look at us and go, Oh my goodness, if they can do it, I can do it. I want what they've got. Isn't that the gospel? For us to live such godly lives in front of other people that they almost accuse us, like this says, of doing something wrong. But in the end, they go, I want what they've got. I want that joy that they live with. I see them standing in the hospital room in the face of absolute uh, terror, but yet they're standing there with their hands clasped going, you are my mighty God. I call on you today. Bring healing to this place. But no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstance, I will follow you. And that does something to a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who hasn't seen that kind of conviction in somebody's life. And they say, I want that. How do I live that life then? We abstain from sinful desires. 
If you think your Christian testimony is going to win people to Christ when you're not abstaining from your sinful desires and you're practicing them in private or out in front of everybody, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Your Christian testimony is much diminished if you're not living the godly life. Last one. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do I live the Christian life? You die to it. You die to your Life. You die to your sinful desires. You die to the pull in that opposite direction. You die to that. That's the example. That's the model that Christ showed us when he went to the cross and willingly laid his life down. He died so that we could live. So, what is our response? We die to our life, we die to our worldly dreams. We die to our ambitions. We lay it all down and we say, I want to live in Christ, not in myself. I no longer live. Scott no longer lives. Scott's dreams and ambitions and the things that I wanted for myself are dead. I crucify them every day and I say, you put your dream in me. You put your ambitions in me. You cause my feet to walk where you want them to walk. I die to myself and I align myself with Christ who lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The instructions are pretty clear. Sometimes we have to dig them out of Scripture. And I'm not sending you from here today saying, go live a Christian life, good luck. I'm saying, go get your Bibles out. Go read your Word. Go study your Word. Go start to apply the Word of God. And then let it drop into your gut. I like to hang out with some people who have some biblical intestinal fortitude. I'd like to hang out with some people who aren't scared of the enemy of our souls and the one who wages war against us that can say, Get yourself out of here in the name of Jesus. I don't have to put up with that. I'm standing firm in who he is in me. I don't have the capability to do this on my own. I realize that. I need you. Is there anybody in the house that would stand up right now with me and just look into the heavens, even though we're staring at a metal and, and an insulated roof, and say, Lord, I need you. Anybody? Come on. I don't want to be by myself. Lord, I need you. I've been down this road way too long. But now, God, in this moment, in this present age, at this present hour, I need you. 
See, this turns into something that's not a check the box, I read my Bible today thing. This turns into something that says, Lord, I need you every hour. Lord, I need you. It used to be an old hymn of the church. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It didn't turn into a daily thing. It didn't turn into a weekly one day, one hour on Sunday morning thing. It was every hour, I need you. And if that would drop from our senses into our minds, into our hearts, to the point where we feel it in our gut, and we could stand in the aisles, and we can stand in the public places, and we can stand and say, Lord, I need you, then guess what would happen? The world would say, I want what they got. Oh, it doesn't look hopeful for me, but they look like they've got hope. Oh, Lord, I need you. Would you help us today, Jesus? I'm just going to pause right there because for everybody in the room, that's something different. Would you help us today, Jesus? Oh, there might be somebody here today, Jesus, that they're talking to the ceiling. They don't even know you. But something down deep inside of them knows that they need to know you. If that's you here today, God bless you for being here. He saw fit to call you to be here. He said, today's your day to where you could stand like this and, and just reach your hands out. Maybe with tears coming down your face, just say, Jesus, I need you. And do you know what his response is to that? Oh, He sends His ministering angels. He sends His Holy Spirit. He sends every resource of heaven to you today. If that's you, and I know there's somebody in this place, I don't know how you, I can feel it. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple plea that just says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Matter of fact, let's just all say it together, Jesus. I'm a sinner, and I need you. Wash me clean. Show me how. I love you today. Maybe you're here today, and you just lack faith. You've been walking, and you've been living the Christian life best you can. But your prayer is similar to that man in the Bible that said, I believe but help my unbelief. That's an admission that there was some unbelief in his life. So Heavenly Father, I bring those that need faith to you this morning. Would you give us all a new, fresh dose of faith this morning so that we can believe more than we've ever believed and so that we can live a Christian life that's an example for others so that they will know you. We lived out church here last Sunday and it was a little chaotic and, and we spent 30 minutes dedicating children in this place. But at the end of the service, there was a little girl who's not 11 years old that came up to me and said, I want to know who Jesus is and I want you to help me. We went right back there through that kitchen door and knelt on that old concrete floor, and my knee was hurting. And she said, Jesus, 
I need you. And it broke my heart because so many of us have been living a deceptive, deceitful life and we've been checking boxes and following rules, but we've never given it to Him. We've never admitted our need. Can I encourage you today before we leave this place? Let today be a day of refreshing for you. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to feel the condemnation and the weight of failure in your life. You can lay it all right here in this altar at the feet of Jesus and let Him wash over you with His Holy Spirit of forgiveness and grace and mercy. You say, that's great in those Bible stories. I love to hear that. I get excited about the grace and the mercy that was exhibited to those people. Well, those people can be you today. He's still dishing it out. And he's got more than you could ever use up. While we sing this chorus, are we going to sing a chorus? While we sing this chorus, or song, or anthem, if you just want to lay something down, Maybe it's your life. Maybe you need to receive Christ. Maybe you just need more faith. Maybe you've heard something and the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart today and you say, you know what I need? I need some of that gut kind of stuff he's talking about. I'm tired of being wimpy. Right? Will you come down here and let me pray with you? I, I know it's 1124. I got you for six more minutes at least. That's enough time for Jesus Christ to change somebody in this place. Release the chair in front of you. Don't be scared of what might happen. Just receive it for what it is. I'm going to stop pushing. I'm just going to let you decide while we sing. I'll be right here. I want to pray with you. God's doing some work right here. We're not going to disturb that. We're not going to stop until he's done. I believe, and when I say I believe, I believe the same God that created everything is still alive today. He still moves in people. He still saves people. He still helps with our worries and our anxieties and our stresses. He still dishes out faith. He still helps us with our struggles. I don't doubt it for one minute. And you know where I learned all that? In my Bible. I learned all that by eating that book. I learned all that by studying in that book, applying it, and then living it to the best of my ability. I'm going to fail some days. I failed yesterday. I may have already failed today. You're going to fail too. Jesus still loves you. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how inconsistent you are, no matter what you've done with who, how many times. He still says, I've got you in the palm of my hand. Would you stretch your hands to heaven one more time? Every one of us in this place 
If you're a Baptist, you probably feel very uncomfortable right now. But we're just going to thank Jesus for who he is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is never ending. Thank you for a brother right here and a sister right here and another sister right here that would come, would have a heart for you, Jesus, and would say, help me, Jesus. Let that be our cry this week on Monday morning when we wake up. Help me, Jesus, on Tuesday. Help me, Jesus. Let me get my word out. I may not understand what I'm reading, but I'm going to put it inside me so that such a time as this, it oozes out of me and someone sees the mighty Jesus that's inside of me. One more time. We sing hallelujah. One more time before we leave this place. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.